the following message entitled, God's Steward of Grace, Part 5 of the series, United, was given by Mark L. Trogi on the 7th of August, 2011, at Sovereign Grace Church of Indiana, Pennsylvania. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. Let's pray. Lord, this is so dense with truth. We just need your spirit to open our minds and hearts to understand it. And Lord, would you please give us a, an, an appreciation and a sense of joy and gladness for what you've done for us. Lord, would you please open the eyes of our hearts to see wonderful things in your word. Lord, help me to serve this church I love. I'm so thankful for this church. Please help me to unfold your word, Lord, in an accurate way. And let your word have a good effect in our lives, Lord. Produce joy and gladness. Make us servants. Lord, I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. God makes us stewards of grace to display His glory. That's, that's the big point of, uh, of this message. This is, this is an application of this message. Paul in this passage says, God made me a steward of His grace to display His glory. And we can apply this to ourselves. That God makes every believer a steward of God's grace to display His glory. And I'll, I'll, I'll hopefully explain what that means by a steward of God's grace. So this, this passage is, is about Paul, but it has application for us. Every passage in the Bible has only one meaning, but it can have many applications. And so this passage has only one meaning, but it applies in various ways to all of us. Paul says God had done something in his life. God had made him a steward of grace and a servant of the gospel. Now, none of us has the same stewardship Paul had. And hopefully I can explain what stewardship means. But God, God gives every believer in Jesus Christ gifts and graces that they are to use to serve and bless others. Paul wrote Ephesians from a Roman prison. He had been there for four to five years and he was in prison for preaching the good news that Jesus Christ, by his life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, had redeemed us, paid for our sins and broken down all the barriers between us and God. And he also broke down all the barriers between believers, both Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And he had preached this, that Gentile and Jewish believers were now one as God's people. The Jews were no longer God's special people, but God had created a new society, a new humanity, out of everyone who believes in Jesus, Jew and non-Jew. And this just really provoked the Jews who were not believers. And so they persecuted Paul. And they had him arrested. But Paul appealed to Caesar. And so because he appealed to Caesar, he was taken to Rome and put in a Roman prison. And he's writing this 
letter to this church in Ephesus and surrounding areas in Asia Minor. And he's talking about this incredible mystery, this incredible truth of what God had done in Christ. And we've heard the last few weeks, we've been doing a series on Ephesians. In chapters 1 and chapter 2, Paul is, is outlining these incredible blessings God has given us. Believers have been chosen by God, predestined to be adopted as sons through Christ, made alive in Christ, saved by Christ, united with Christ, given an inheritance in Christ, and joined together, Jew and Gentile, into one new human race, one new society. And he has laid all this out, and now he's about to pray for them. And he wants to pray that they'll be able to grasp all that God has done for them. And so, in chapter 3, he says, for this reason... In other words, for this reason, everything I've told you in chapter 1 and 2, for all the blessings God's given you in Christ, for this reason, I'm going to pray that you'll have the strength to comprehend it and understand all God has done for you. Your incredible privilege in Jesus and the riches you have in Christ. Well, you can't even grasp it on your own. So for this reason, I'm going to pray for you. But as he starts to do that, he, he kind of stops and There's a parenthesis here in Ephesians. It seems that Paul catches himself momentarily and says, I got to share a few more thoughts with you before I pray. And so in verse 14, you'll see again, it, it says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the father and then he prays. And so between these two places where he says, for this reason, he's giving us some more information about himself. And it's it's kind of like this. He's saying for this reason, he's saying, Wait a minute, I've shared such incredible mysteries with you. You probably wonder where I got these. Let me, let me give you my credentials. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about how I came into this incredible mystery so you'll have more confidence. And so he says, for this reason, wait a minute, let me tell you this. And then he says, assuming you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Now he knows that a lot of them have heard about it. He's assuming they've heard about his call to preach the riches of Christ to the Gentiles. But he doesn't know everybody in that Ephesian church now. It's been four years or so since he's, he's been in prison. And many more have gotten saved and become part of the church. He doesn't know all the people in all these churches. So he's saying, I'm, I'm assuming you've heard about the ministry God's given me, the stewardship God's given me. What's a stewardship? In the New Testament times, a steward was a household manager. The master of the house would put the steward or the manager in charge of his money and property. And the servant would manage the other servants. The steward would manage the other servants. He'd oversee the estate. He'd invest the master's money. He would make sure food was distributed to all the other servants. Um, He would oversee the planting of crops and, and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus told several parables about these managers He said there were faithful managers. There was an unfaithful manager who took all the master had given him and started getting drunk with it and using it all for himself. But he said a faithful steward would take all the master gave him and use it to further the master's cause and bless others, bless the other servants. And so Paul says, I have been made a steward by God. God has given me a stewardship of grace. And he says, he gave it to me 
for you. God made Paul a steward of, of this message of the mystery of God, of the riches of Christ for the Gentiles. And he made him a steward when he saved him in the book of Acts. And if you remember, or if, if you don't know, Paul hated Christians. He was persecuting them. He was a Jew. And he was persecuting them. And God knocked him off his horse on the road to the city of Damascus, blinded him with a blinding light, and changed his life. And Paul didn't know what to do, so he was going by Saul then. And so God says, go into Damascus and wait. And then God called a man in Damascus named Ananias and said, there's this guy named Saul, he's been blinded and you're supposed to go and pray for him. And Ananias says, Lord, you can't mean this guy who's been persecuting Christians and throwing him into jail. You want me to go to pray for this guy? And God says, yes. And in Acts 9.15, here's what God says to Ananias. The Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And so God told Ananias about the stewardship that he was giving to Paul. And so, in Acts 13, verse 47, Paul is preaching in Poseidon Antioch, and he says, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. So, Paul says, God gave me a special calling, a special stewardship to proclaim Jesus Christ to the Gentiles in particular. Paul didn't decide on his own to do this. God chose him. God said to Ananias, he is a chosen vessel of mine. Paul hated Christianity. So he knows that he didn't choose this stewardship. And it was a stewardship of God's grace. He says you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace. Grace is God's free Gift of salvation. God's free gift to people in Christ Jesus. We can't earn it. As Stephen said earlier in the, in, in the morning, there's no amount of works that could earn forgiveness of sins, salvation, eternal life. And so God, as a gift of grace, gives us all the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. And so, so Paul says, I have this stewardship to tell everybody I know about the grace of God. I've been given gifts from God. I've been given abilities from God to preach. I've been given knowledge of the Old Testament from God. I've been given so much from God. And it is for you, he says to the Gentiles. And now we can learn from this. We can see this. this there's a valuable truth here for us. Every Christian has been given gifts from God that we are to steward for others. book of Corinthians says that every believer has gifts. It, it doesn't matter if you have been a believer for five minutes or 20 years. The Bible says you, you have at least one gift, but most likely many gifts from God to use on behalf of others. To steward those gifts. They're, they're not... For ourselves, they're for others. God gives people gifts of... I, I love seeing the, the many gifts God has given you in this church. 
God gives some people gifts of mercy. They just have a unique gift of showing mercy. God gives people gifts of wisdom, gifts of teaching, gifts of administration. Oh, I am so thankful for people with the gift of administration because I don't have that gift. And I need help. And gifted people in this church do so much. God gives people what's called the gift of helps, gift of prophecy. God gives some gifts of leading. He gives gifts gifts of hospitality, musical gifts, artistic gifts. Some have the gift of giving. The Bible mentions a gift of giving. These gifts aren't for ourselves, though. It wouldn't be right to say, you know what? I have the gift of giving, so I think I'm going to give myself something. I bought myself a new porcelain coffee travel mug the other week. I was, I was in Starbucks with Christy, and I said, Christy, I think I'm going to give myself a little gift today. <laughs> she said, go ahead. Such a good wife. But the, the, gift of, the, gift of giving, the gift of giving is not so that we can give ourselves gifts. The gift of of. of Prophecy is not so, I have a prophecy for myself. You shall do great things. No. Gifts, our gifts are to be stewarded for other people. And so Paul says, I've been given a mystery to steward. And so in verse 3, he says, How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've written briefly. Paul didn't make up the mystery of the Gentiles being one with the Jews in Christ. God, God revealed it to him. He never could have come up with that. As a, as a solid, committed Jew, he would never have come up with that on his own. And so he says, I was a strict Pharisee. I despised Gentiles. I viewed them as unclean. But God gave me this revelation. And he says, he's also given it to others. Now, since, since Jesus has ascended, He's given it to apostles and prophets now that are, are revealing this. In verse 4, He says, When you read this, you can perceive My insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ through the Gospel. Now, in the Old Testament, God had promised to bless the Gentiles. He had promised, He had said to Abraham, all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you and your descendants. He had promised in many other places to bless the Gentiles, but it wasn't really clear, it wasn't crystal clear that the Gentiles would be one with the Jews in a new people of God. This was what was so revolutionary that Paul was sharing. And so he says, here is what God has revealed to me. And he's writing primarily to Gentiles. He says, you, the Gentiles, are fellow heirs. That means full-fledged family members with the Jews who believed in Christ. In Jesus, there are no class divisions. There's no Jew, Gentile. There's no black, white. There's no blue collar, white collar, male, female. All who come to Jesus are fellow 
heirs with the full rights and privileges as children of God. Heirs of God. There are no second class citizens. And we we need to remember that. First of all, this is an astounding thing. We are heirs of God. If you have believed in Jesus Christ, you are an heir of the riches of God in Jesus. And we don't even know what that is. If you are a child, if you're a young man, a young woman, and you have believed in Jesus, you are a fellow heir. It's not just for grown-ups. If you're a teenager and you have believed in Jesus Christ, you are an heir of the riches of Jesus Christ. And that's more riches than the whole world put together has to offer. And someday in heaven we will enjoy those riches. There's no second class citizens. When we look at another believer, this is so important, so often we can see each other's failures and weaknesses. I'm sure that when you look at me, you can see many failures, many weaknesses. So, so often we, when we look at other believers, we see failures and weaknesses. But you know, you know what we should say? That's a fellow heir of Jesus Christ. This is a fellow heir. No matter, no matter what kind of struggles I'm going through with this person, he's a fellow heir with Christ. No matter what failures I've seen in him, he's a fellow heir. He believes in Jesus. He's an heir with Jesus Christ. I mean, we should have such, a, such a, a great respect for one another. C.S. Lewis said that if we could see what fellow believers are going to be someday when we are fully transformed into the likeness of Christ, if we could see what, what we'll be like, we'd be tempted to worship each other. Which obviously would be wrong, but it's, it's this being an heir with Christ. We, we have such an incredible status. And we need to remember that. He says we're members of the same body. There's only one body of Christ that consists of all believers of all time. The body of Christ is unified. All parts have equal value and all care for each other. And this church, our church, we're just part of the body of Christ from all ages. We're just part of God's body of Christ in this area. I was out taking a walk this week, early in the morning, and in my neighborhood, and I saw coming toward me a guy that, that I've met before, and, and I recognized him as Brad Louster, the pastor of Grace Methodist Church. He was walking a couple dogs, and I forgave him for that, but he's, he's coming up toward me. I stayed back from him just to make sure they were under control. They were big bulldogs. But anyway, he, we stopped and we talked. It's been a while since I've seen him. And he said, Mark, I am so excited about your building. I am so excited at what God is doing in your church. And I said, Brad, I, I, I respect you so much for all you're doing in your church. And, I, and as we talked, I said, you know what, there's, I'm so glad there's no competition between us. There are enough unsaved people in this area that, that we could fill twice as many churches to overflowing and, and still have room. And I just said, I'm just so glad we're not in competition. And, and I pray God's blessing on your church. And he was, but it just, it just 
affected me that he just said that. I am so happy for you. And that's what this is talking about. We are one in Christ. We're partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. The Gentiles are partakers of the promise. The promise in Jesus Christ of forgiveness of sins, fellowship with God, eternal life, everlasting joy and infinite riches. That promise is for everyone. There's no longer one chosen people that other, others can't get into. And notice he says the promise of God in Christ. We need to remember that all God's promises are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. It's, it's not enough just to believe in God. Many people in this country would say, oh yeah, I believe in God. But they have never wholeheartedly surrendered their lives and put all their trust and hope in Jesus Christ. It's not enough to just say, I believe in God. And I'm, I'm hoping that if any of you here, did, if this is new for you, that you would know that the gospel, the good news, which you'll hear about in a second, is the good news that God has done wonderful things for us in Christ. It is in Christ that we find forgiveness of sins. It is in Christ that we have eternal life. And so, I would appeal to any of you, if you have not called upon Jesus Christ, if you have not turned to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God the Son, who paid for your sins on the cross, who rose from the dead, It says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, and the Lord is Jesus Christ. Anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus Christ to rescue them from their sins and give them eternal life, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And when you call upon the name of Jesus, God makes us one with Christ. And all that is Christ is ours. And it's not by our works, as we've already said. It's just by the grace of God. This is the glorious mystery that Paul was called to be a steward of. This is what he was hoping to distribute to everyone. And he says, I'm a servant of the gospel. God made me a servant. He says in verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power to me. Though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring delight for everyone. What is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things? He says, of this gospel, I was made a minister. Now, the word minister means servant. So, Paul says, I was made a servant of The gospel, a servant of this good news. I'm a servant of this message of Jesus Christ. And he says this, this happened. He said, I was made a servant. I didn't choose this. And all of us can say, God made me a servant. All of us who, all of us who are, 
are following Jesus Christ know that we didn't just decide, hey, I'm going to change my life. I'm going to become a servant. I was the most selfish person in the universe, and I still can be. But God made me a servant. His servant. God made Paul a servant. And he says it was according to the gift of God's grace. It's just the kindness of God. God didn't do it because He said, boy, that guy has potential. That, that lady has potential, so I'm gonna, no, it's just sheer grace. Sheer kindness that He makes us a servant. Paul says that's, it was the kindness of God to me. I was persecuting the church and God in His kindness made me a servant of the gospel. And he says it was by the working of His power. Only the almighty, awesome, unfathomable power of Jesus Christ can change someone from a God-hater to a God-lover. From someone who's persecuting the Gospel to a servant of the Gospel. If you love Jesus this morning, it is because God has poured out awesome power into your life. It takes the awesome power of God, the working of His power to open blind eyes to see who Jesus is. And so Paul says, I'm a servant of the Gospel. And and every believer is a servant of the Gospel. Every one of us. We don't all serve the Gospel in the same way, but every one of us. God's grace has changed us. We want to share the good news of Jesus with as many as we can. Isn't that true? Wouldn't you love to be able to share the good news? Some, Some of us would just love to be able to share Jesus with our family members. That's just something He puts in us. I want to share the gospel if I can. If I get the opportunity. Part of our mission as a church is to reach the world for Christ. That's why we built this building. Not so that we could just have a real nice, comfortable place to meet in. We want to see more and more people hear the gospel. So please keep inviting your friends. Because our desire and our, our, our hope is every Sunday that you would know If you bring someone in here, they would hear the good news of Jesus Christ. We we, we try our best in every single message to focus it on the Gospel. And Paul says, I'm a servant. Servants don't think highly of themselves. Paul says, to me, this grace was given, though I am the very least of all the saints. This grace was given. Paul didn't think of himself as anything great. It's interesting that the more mature one becomes in Christ, the more we become aware that we're sinners in need of God's grace. Isn't that true? Haven't you found that? The longer you go on with Jesus, the more you realize you're a sinner who needs God's grace. May we be known as a church of servants. I, I hope if we, get, if we get any kind of reputation in town, I would just hope that people would say, those people at Sovereign Grace Church are humble and they are servants. In your, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, with your friends, with your family members, at Thanksgiving, at Christmas, may, may you go into your workplace or, or your holidays or your vacation with your family members and, and, and pray this, Lord, help me to be the biggest servant on vacation. Help me to be a servant. 
Help me to be a servant to my unbelieving relatives so that maybe they'll give me a chance to share the gospel with them. And Paul says, I preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. This is, this is how he served the gospel. I preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. In other words, he preached that Christ is our treasure. My prayer is that like Charles Spurgeon, the great 18th century pre- preacher, or 19th century preacher, I mean, said, when people left his church, they didn't say, what an incredible church. They said, what an amazing Savior. What an incredible Savior. That's my hope for our church. I, I hope that when people leave this church, they don't say, wow, what a great meeting that was. Wow, wasn't that incredible sounding worship? Wow, wasn't that a nice building? My hope is that people would say, what an incredible Savior. Because all, all our riches are in Jesus Christ. The New Testament says Christ is our righteousness. Christ is our wisdom. Christ is our mediator with the Father. Christ is our redemption. Christ is our perfect sacrifice. He's our Savior, our Redeemer, our King. He's our Good Shepherd. Jesus is our great physician. Jesus is our wonderful counselor. Jesus is the lover of our souls. Our riches in Christ are unsearchable, it says. I preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. In other words, we will never come to an end of searching out the riches of Christ for all eternity. After 10,000 years, there will be more riches in Jesus to discover because they're unsearchable. After a million years, after 10,000 times a million years, we're not going to be bored in heaven. There'll be more riches of Christ to see and explore. In movies like National Treasure, People, people come upon these hidden storehouses of treasures. Maybe you've seen them. These movies like this. And the camera will pan back. And you'll see that there is just room after room and piles upon piles of gold and jewels and crowns and cups and dishes and swords and shields and helmets made out of gold. And the people stare at this immense wealth they've discovered. And they walk, they begin to walk through the room and they they pick up handfuls of jewels and gems. That's nothing compared to the riches we have in Jesus. And Paul wanted everyone to know about God's plan. In verse 9 he says, My my being a servant of the gospel means preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ. And in verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for the ages in God who created all things. This plan to join people who hated each other together in Christ. I want everyone to know this. I want everyone to know Jesus. I want everyone to know God's plan in Jesus. That's our desire, isn't it? would want everyone to know. So, keep praying. Pray. 
try to remember to pray sometime during the week. Maybe once, once a week or every day maybe, but pray, Lord, please bring Your kingdom to this area. Lord, we, I pray that everyone would come to know You. Pray that everyone would come to know Your plan. Pray that everyone would come to know the riches of God in Christ. Pray for your neighbors. Oh Lord, please rescue my neighbors. Let them know Jesus. Paul wanted everyone to know. And then Paul kind of wraps it up and saying, here's what God's purpose in all this is. Here's God's purpose. Here's why God made Paul a servant of the gospel. Here's why God gave Paul all this grace to preach all this stuff. To preach the riches of Christ. Here's why. And this is just mind-blowing here. This is incredible. Verse 10. So that, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. What does that mean? Through the church, the manifold or the many-colored, the, the many-faceted wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That means this. Somehow, through the church, through this one new people of God, saved by God's grace, God will display His wisdom to the universe. He will display His wisdom to the angels. He will display His wisdom to the demonic powers. Through the church. Here's, here's the wisdom of God that He's going to display. Through the Gospel of Jesus, God has taken those who rebelled against God and hated each other and has now united them into one people who love God and love each other. And this is such an incredible miracle that the angels are astounded by it. The angels are watching to see the church be the church. It's astounding. Demons who know nothing but hatred are astounded to see that people who once hated each other now love each other. And that's the wisdom of God through Jesus Christ, through sending His Son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins. And God says, look at my wisdom, heavens. Look, angels, look at my wisdom. Look at what I've done. Look at the church and you can see my wisdom. God displays His awesome wisdom to the universe through the church. Now, think about this. Most people in this country who are not Christians would view the church as probably the most insignificant, irrelevant institution that exists. The church, what's the church? They, they would not think of the church as being the, 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 the very thing on earth that God has chosen to display His glory to the angels with. Most people on earth would think of the church as... I, well, here's the way I thought of the church. I thought of the church as the most boring thing on the face of the earth. I, before I was a Christian, going to church was the worst time of the week. In fact, when I went to church, we counted the, 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 the priests 
the, the, the best priest was the one who could get through the mass the quickest. So we'd say, man, that guy's good. He got through it in 25 minutes. You know, that, that's the way we looked upon the church. This, this, this has nothing to offer me. This is the most boring, irrelevant thing on the face of the earth. And yet God says, the church is the most important institution in the earth. I don't think of myself as important. I don't think of us as important. But God says, His people on the earth, His church, is the most significant institution on the face of the earth. It is more significant than any educational institution, any scientific institution, any other institution. The church is far more significant because God uses the church to display His glory to the angels and His wisdom to the angels. So, how important is the church to us? I think, I think the angels are watching us. They want to see how the church will do. They care about the church. The book of Hebrews says angels are ministering spirits on our behalf. The angels are watching to see the wisdom of God in sending Christ to save and transform former rebels and God-haters and people-haters into God-lovers and people-lovers. God's glory is at stake. Angels are watching. Will, will we love one another? Will we do whatever it takes to love one another? Will we seek to forgive each other and be reconciled to each other? Will we love our fellow sinners with all their failures and weaknesses? Will we show mercy to one another? Will we be patient and forbearing with one another? I love this church because you, you, you are so in so many ways like this. But I, I've thought, oh, I, I want to be like this because the angels are watching. The angels are watching. Are we going to love one another? Even though we're hard to love. <laughs> even though we're all so different from one another. What a, what a high calling. Paul says in verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he's realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is God's purpose. This is God's eternal purpose to display his glory to the universe through the church. Wow. Boy, it's important to be in the church, isn't it? It's hard to believe the church means so much to God. And Paul had been given his stewardship Because this was God's eternal purpose. And Paul says, I'm willing to suffer for all this. This is so important to God, I'm willing to suffer. And so in verse 1, he starts off, he says, I'm a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And then in verse 13, he says, I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. In other words, I've been in prison for four years and many, many of you are getting worried about me and concerned for me. You feel bad that I'm in prison. He says, I'm suffering for all this that I've been talking about. It's your glory to be one in Christ. It's your glory to have the riches of Christ. All of this is your glory. It's your glory that God is using you to display His wisdom to the universe. I'm happy to suffer. Don't be discouraged because you hear me suffering for this. I'm suffering because I'm in prison because this is what I proclaimed. So I just thought, you know what? I need to be willing to suffer to display God's glory through our unity. 
It costs us to love others. I mean, I don't suffer anything like Paul. I, I, I wouldn't even say I suffer. But there are times where I, I have a, a small cost to pay. It, might, it, takes, it, it costs us time to seek to be one with our brothers and sisters. It takes us time to go to someone and, and try to work things out with them. It takes time. It takes time to care for others and, and, and love them and hear them. So many times I, I'm selfish and I don't want to give the time, but, but I want to because the angels are watching and God's glory is at stake. It costs us to be servants. It takes time to be a servant, to care for others, to lay down your life for others. Well, in conclusion, if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you are blessed. God has given you grace and gifts to use on behalf of others. You have unique gifts from God to use for others. God has made you a servant of the gospel to proclaim the riches of Jesus Christ every chance you can. You're a full-fledged heir with Jesus, of Jesus, with Him and His people. And you have a high calling to love your fellow heirs. To display God's wisdom and power in making us one to the angels. And for all this, we need God's help, don't we? (laughs) I need God's help. We need God's help to display His glory. So let's pray. Can have the band come up? Lord Jesus, this is just a lot to take in, Lord, and we are very full right now. Our minds are probably saturated, but we want to thank you for making each one of us a steward of your grace. Help us to steward what you've given us for the sake of others. Lord, thank you for making us servants of the gospel. Lord, please give us opportunities to share with others the riches of Christ. And Lord, you you are using us as part of your church to display your wisdom to the angels. Lord, would you please help us to, to, to fulfill your desire to do that. Help us to love one another. We just ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.